Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Namacharya Srila Haridas Thakur Ki Jai Prem Sekaho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaur Bhaktarinda Ki Jai Shishirada Krishna Gopagopinath Shyamakund Radhakund Giri Govardhan Ki Jai Grantaraj Sriman Bhagavatam Ki Jai Samabeda Bhaktarinda Ki Jai Itai Gaura Premanandi Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskrityam Naram Chaiva Narotamam Devim Saraswatim Vyasam Tatojayam Udhirayet Nashta Prayeshva Bhadreshu Ityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavat Yutama Shloke Bhaktir Bhavati Naishtiki Before reciting Srimad Bhagavatam, which is our very means of conquest, one should first offer their respects to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Narayan, unto the supermost human being, Narayan Rishi. Goddess Saraswati, the goddess of learning, and unto Srila Vyasadeva, the author. And by regularly attending classes on Srimad Bhagavatam and rendering service to the pure devotee, all that is inauspicious in the heart is almost completely destroyed. And loving service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is praised with transcendental songs, is established as an irrevocable fact. Grantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. So we're reading from Canto 3, Chapter 33, Activities of Kapila, Text 14. Apikshnavagaha Kapishan. Okay. Apikshnavagaha Kapishan. Jatilan Kutila Lakan Atmanam Chokra Tapasa Vibrati Chirnam Chirinam Krisham 
ಅಭಿಕ್ಷ್ಣಾಗಾ ಕಪಿಶಾನ್ ಜಟೀಲಾನ್ ಕುಟೀಲಾಲಕನ್ ಆತ್ಮನ ಚೋಗ್ರತಪಸ ಭಿಭ್ರತಿ ಚೀರ್ಣ ಚೀರಿಂ ಅಭಿಕ್ಷ್ಣಾವಗಾ ಕಪಿಶನ್ ಜಟೀಲಾನ್ ಕುಟೀಲಾಲಕನ್ ಆತ್ಮನ ಚೋಗ್ರತಪಸ ಭಿಭ್ರತಿ ಚೀರಿಂ ಭಾನೋಗ್ರತಪಸ ಭಿಭ್ರತಿ ಚಿರಿಂ ಆತ್ಮನ ಚೋಗ್ರತಪಸ ಭಿಭ್ರತಿ ಚಿರಿಂ ಅಭಿಕ್ಷ್ಣ ಅವಗಾ ಬೈ ಬೇಧಿಂಗ್ ಕಪಿಶಾನ್ ಗ್ರೇ ಜಟೀಲಾನ್ ಮ್ಯಾಡೆಡ್ ಕುಟೀಲಾ ಕರೋಲ್ಡ್ ಎನಿಒನ್ ರೆಕಗ್ನೈಸ್ ದೋಸ್ ವರ್ಡ್ಸ್ ರಾಧಾರಾಣಿಸ್ ಮದರ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಸ್ಟೆಪ್ಸ್ ಲೈಕ್ ಸಿಸ್ಟರ್ ಓರ್ ಸ್ಟೆಪ್ ಮದರ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಎನಿಒನ್ ನೋ mother-in-law and sister-in-law Jatila and Kutila so now you know what their names mean matted and curled oh we haven't got to that part yet um wait did i say the meanings yes you did okay so kutila means curled so alakan hair atmanam her body cha and ugratapasa by severe austerities bhibrati became chirinam clothed in rags krisham thin translation and purport by his divine grace 
Isi Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. She began to bathe three times daily, and thus her curling black hair gradually became gray. Due to austerity, her body gradually became thin, and she wore old garments. Purport. It is the practice of the yogi, brahmachari, vanaprastha, and sannyasi to bathe at least three times daily, early in the morning, during noontime, and in the evening. These principles are strictly followed, even by some grihastas, especially brahmanas, who are elevated to spiritual consciousness. Devahuti was a king's daughter and almost a king's wife also. Although Kardamamuni was not a king, by his yogic mystic power he accommodated Devahuti very comfortably in a nice palace with maidservants and all opulence. But since she had learned austerity even in the presence of her husband, there was no difficulty for her to be austere. Still, because her body underwent severe austerity, after the departure of her husband and son, she became thin. To be too fat is not very good for spiritually advanced life. Rather, one should reduce, one should reduce, because if one becomes fat, it is an impediment to progress in spiritual understanding. One should be careful not to eat too much, sleep too much, or remain in a comfortable position. Voluntarily accepting some penances and difficulties, one should take less food and less sleep. These are the procedures for practicing any kind of yoga, whether bhakti yoga, jnana yoga, or hatha yoga. Om jnana timirandasya jnananjana chalakaya Chakshurun militam jena tasmai shri gurave namaha Jai shri krishna chaitanya prabhu nityananda Shri advaita gadadhara shri vasadi gora bhakta vrinda Hare krishna hare krishna 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 hare 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 rama hare rama 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 Hare Hare Vanchakalpa Tarubhyascha Kripa Sindhubhya Evacha Patitanam Pavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namo Namaha So I beg the blessings of all the assembled devotees that we can share something Krishna conscious and of service for everyone hearing. There are a few nice topics in this verse and purport that I was considering. We'll see if we can get to all of them. The first one is regarding cleanliness, the importance of cleanliness in spiritual life. Why do we practice being clean? How is that spiritual? And then the next point is about uh, renunciation, actually. How Devahuti 
at this stage now is entering into fully renouncing the world, even in the external sense. And different conceptions of renunciation and different situations of how to apply renunciation in life. And then the third one is the importance of accepting penances and difficulties in spiritual life. Prabhupada says in the purport, one should voluntarily accept penances and difficulties. So we're going to hopefully get to all of that. Um, and if you have comments or questions along the way, feel free. So this point about cleanliness, it's, Prabhupada mentions here, well, Devahuti, it's mentioned in the verse that she began to bathe three times, three times a day. And she was practicing austerity. She was eating very little, uh, not taking care of the body as far as, you know, making it all dressed up nice and things. And her hair became matted and gray. But despite this neglect of the bodily needs, she was still bathing every day actually three times a day. And Prabhupada makes the point in the purport that these principles are followed by those who are spiritually advanced. That when one is spiritually conscious, when, when one is elevated in spiritual consciousness, it's natural for them to keep the body very clean. It's a common misunderstanding for people today that uh, being spiritual means uh, neglecting um, any sort of rules or regulations. I was talking with a student the other day, and he was kind of had this had this concept that you know you just do whatever you like, you go with the flow of things, right? You all have heard that, maybe be in the flow and then just be spiritual and you know just be in the consciousness there's this idea that we are spiritual beings and so therefore like neglecting the body means just don't be clean you just don't have to clean the body because you're you're not the body anyway so this is an incorrect application of spiritual understanding Prabhupada is stating here that one who's actually clean, one who's actually spiritually elevated will keep the body clean. So there's, I was considering three different sort of levels of cleanliness or three different, you could say, personalities who are having some relationship with cleanliness. First you have the... Uh, New Bhakta came in from the streets and he's still uh, you know, in his ways of being in the modes of nature, right? And so if one is in the if one is situated in the mode of passion and ignorance, then being clean is an austerity. If one is used to just having things all over the place, not cleaning the body, you know, showering once a week, then to be clean, to, to practice these things, 
It's a real austerity. It's like, why do I want to do that? I don't see it. Just waste time and energy. I don't have to do that. Right? So this is an initial stage that one comes to uh, start to practice spiritual life. And being clean actually helps one to come to the mode of goodness, which is still material, but as we learn, the mode of goodness actually helps one to become uh, more eligible to approach transcendence. So it is true that bhakti is completely independent by the mercy of a devotee. Uh, one can be elevated from the depths of the mode of ignorance to spiritual consciousness by the mercy of a devotee. But for those who are practicing spiritual life, those who are uh, actually in the, in the process of practicing, then cultivating the mode of goodness is necessary. So, and one of the main aspects of the mode of goodness is cleanliness. Keeping the body clean, and also learning how to keep the mind clean. That's the whole point of um, sadachar, Vaishnav etiquette, is learning how to deal with others in a proper way so that uh, one's mind, one's dealings are clean, and that the body is clean. So this is an initial stage of understanding cleanliness, that it, it brings one to the mode of goodness. And if we're in the mode of ignorance or the mode of passion, then cleanliness is an austerity to practice. And one should voluntarily accept that austerity to bring themselves to the mode of goodness in order to become uh, more eligible to ultimately you know, springboard up to the mode of uh, shuddha sattva or transcendental consciousness. So then, when one is actually in, situated in the mode of goodness, then it's actually an austerity to be in a place that is dirty. I was hearing a lecture recently on the, on the altar where Prabhupada was actually chastising his disciples right at the beginning of the class. He said, this is, uh, I don't remember, he said, this is very disappointing that these, you know, you're initiated as a brahmana and yet you were in this place, I guess something had happened and he could see that they weren't, he said that when one is purified, then being in a unclean place is an austerity for them. It's difficult and they, they, uh, they can't tolerate it. So for one in ignorance, being clean is an austerity. But when one is situated in the mode of goodness, then being, uh, then being in touch with things that are not clean is actually an austerity. So therefore it's stated here that those who are elevated in spiritual consciousness, which means that one is situated in the mode of goodness, shuddha sattva, then it's very natural for them, it's a natural outpouring, uh, natural habits is to live cleanly. So this is another level. It's still material because we're still talking about the modes, right? So the mode of ignorance, being clean is an austerity. And then gradually one rises to mode of goodness where uh, being clean, they are used to it. 
and actually it's more of an austerity to be in a place that's not so clean. So then there is another element of spiritual cleanliness, uh, spiritual reasons for being clean, right? Like, for example, in worshiping the deity, the two main principles in offering nice worship for the deity are, who knows? Cleanliness. Cleanliness and punctuality, right? Margaret had some nice, she has some nice um, quotes downstairs that I was reading. And uh, there's one that says where Prabhupada, it's a letter or something, and Srila Prabhupada is saying that Krishna appreciates uh, more if the offering is cooked and the kitchen is clean than if it's opulent and the kitchen is dirty. He said something like, Krishna actually won't accept it or he won't like it as much if it's an opulent offering, so-called opulent offering, but the kitchen is messy. So this is uh, also a spiritual principle that serving the deity and pleasing Krishna means cleanliness and punctuality more so than just having a super opulent, you know, beautiful dressing. If it, he's, Krishna actually appreciates the cleanliness and punctuality. And there's a really nice story, a couple nice stories, but there's one that comes in CC regarding uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita, where Lord Chaitanya is glorifying one of his devotees named Raghava Pandit. So Raghava Pandit, he was a very dear devotee of Lord Chaitanya, and he actually would serve his deities with such devotion and love that he would get these coconuts from very, very far away. Even though in his backyard he had like tons of coconut trees that were, he could have just easily gotten to those coconut trees, but he went through the effort to get these coconuts from a very far place because they were sweeter, nicer quality. And so he would go get those and he would with very much love, you know, prepare them, offer them to his deity. And one day he was coming or maybe someone was bringing the coconuts along with him and the person touched the door the the what do you call that sill the windowsill of the door and and then touched the coconuts and raghava pundit said that uh, actually this this door there's dust that's gone up from people's feet that touches the top of the door and so therefore, now the dust has been on this coconut and we can't offer it to the deity. And there's an interesting purport there where Bhaktisiddhanta explains that it's not that Raghava Pandit was just like a clean freak and he just wanted you know, to be like really clean and he was like OCD that, oh my gosh, the dust. But it was actually out of his devotional love that he didn't... He, he, didn't want to offer such a thing to the deity. 
that if there's been dust that's been touched by the feet of uh, living entities, then that should not, that's not proper to be offered to the deity. So this is a transcendental level of cleanliness. It's not just someone is just being fanatical about the rules. It's, it's coming out of one's love, one's spontaneous love for the Lord. So this point of cleanliness is the first point that we've gotten through. Does anyone have any quick comments or questions before we go on to the next things? Or do you want to save it for after? You'll save it? You can remember? Okay. Yeah. Well, there's some other topics that I was pulling out of the purport, but... Yeah. Yeah, it's not that, like, for example, if someone is just super clean, but they're, you know, because they think that they're, you know, they think, because I'm so clean, therefore, you know, I'm a brahmana, and, and they start speaking down, you know, in condescending ways towards Krishna's devotees, just because they, they, they're puffed up thinking, I'm so great, then that would be an example of, uh, maybe the external cleanliness is there, but the internal cleanliness of uh, proper dealings and Vaishnav etiquette is not there. So, and yeah, you could even argue that that's more important, that we should have proper dealings with devotees. We should be clean in mind not just clean in body. Um, 
So, yeah, that's that's definitely a good point, and we can discuss more. Uh, but I want to bring up two other things, if, if we have time, that come out of this purport. And one is regarding renunciation. So we see in this verse that Devahuti is, after so many different phases of her life, we've seen all the different phases of her life, basically, in this pastime of the Bhagavatam. And now she's finally at this stage of uh, fully renouncing the world. She's basically entering into samadhi and getting ready to leave her body. And so she's practicing these austerities and she's renouncing the world. And this topic of renunciation is such a uh, big topic and it's there throughout the Bhagavad Gita. Many of Arjuna's questions that he asks to Krishna are in relation to renunciation. Because he has to, for example, in the third chapter, he asks Krishna, okay, well, you say that I'm not my body, but you still tell me that I should fight this war. So then, you know, why are you trying to engage me in this ghastly warfare if you say that just I should just be spiritual and know that I'm a soul, right? And then in the fifth chapter, he asks a similar question. Please tell me, should I just analyze and understand everything from a theoretical platform, or should I act? Right? And Krishna is regularly telling him, no, you should act. You should uh, act in spiritual consciousness. And then we see many different characters throughout the Bhagavatam who do actually externally renounce things. Opposite of Arjuna. Arjuna was fighting in the battle, and that was his perfection, right? And others, like we see Devahuti here, her perfection is actually giving up and renouncing the world. So the application of how to renounce is a large topic that comes up very often. And Arjuna asks Krishna in that third chapter, the beginning, and then Krishna responds with a verse, a nice verse that I've been considering recently, how he says that not by merely uh, abstaining from work can one achieve freedom from reaction. So someone might think, okay, I don't want to get bad karma, so I'm just not going to do anything. Uh, but that's not possible because the soul is eternally active. And Krishna explains, even to eat, even to live, we have to act. We have to eat and do so many different things just to maintain the body. And then Krishna also explains in the verse that uh, also just by renouncing the world, that doesn't mean that one has gained perfection. So he says you can't act, you can't avoid working and not get the karma. And also you can't just renounce the world and think that that's perfection. And this is the difference between bhakti and many impersonalist paths. They will say that just renounce the world and that's your perfection. If you can become detached externally, then you've achieved perfection. But in Krishna consciousness, there's an element of renunciation which we're seeing. Prabhupada is explaining some... Uh, 
He's giving some instructions for renunciation in this purport. He says, rather, one should reduce, because if one becomes fat, it is an impediment to spiritual progress. One should be careful not to eat too much, sleep too much, or remain in a comfortable position. So there is an element of renunciation. There are no's in Krishna consciousness, but more importantly, there are yeses, and there are positive engagements that one is engaging in Krishna's service. One is engaging in spiritual activities and they're negating material activities in order to fully become more absorbed in Krishna consciousness, in the actual activities of spiritual life. So how to actually apply renunciation in different stages of one's life is what requires guidance because we see it applied in so many different ways in the Bhagavatam. Here, Devahuti is renouncing the world, and someone might say, well, Devahuti did it, so I'll just go do that too. But Arjuna is on the battlefield, and he's saying, yeah, I want to go renounce the world, and Krishna says, no, you fight. So renunciation is actually applied in different ways according to different situations, time, place, and circumstance. For different individuals. And this is what takes guidance. And this is why bhakti requires proper guidance. And the whole Varnashram system is uh, meant to help to facilitate one to have proper renunciation and not become, uh, like it's stated in the third chapter also, Krishna says that just by renouncing, but still thinking of sense gratification in one's mind, is one becomes a pretender, and they delude themselves. So the whole Varnashram system is meant for one to therapeutically become renounced from the world, and simultaneously become engaged in serving Krishna, and in rendering devotional service. And the last point is how Prabhupada is stating and stressing on the importance of accepting some voluntary penances and difficulties. So it's related to how we're, how we're talking here that, okay, one can't just stop acting. So one has to act in the world in the right way. And these same thread of verses that we're talking about from the third chapter, Krishna goes on to explain the importance of yagya. And he says that, okay, so you can't not act, and you can't just renounce the world if you're not detached. So, therefore, you should act for the purpose of yagya. That means act as a sacrifice to satisfy the Supreme Lord. And he explains about the whole <clears throat> cycle of sacrifice, that the whole material world was created along with uh, demigods and human beings and then the process of sacrifice. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> and he explains that through this sacrifice, human beings can live happily in the world and progress spiritually. 
So <clears throat> it's very important to understand uh, how this element of sacrifice is applied in our situation, right? It's not that we're going out and offering you know, oblations to the demigods. So what is the sacrifice for uh, this age? Srila Prabhupada explains very clearly in those purports that it's the Sankirtan Yajna. Congregational chanting of the holy name of the Lord, glorification of the Supreme Lord, and uh, giving Krishna consciousness, spreading the mission of Lord Chaitanya. And this is the Yajna for this age. <clears throat> so, by engaging <clears throat> and helping to push on the Sankirtan movement, then one is properly acting in the world. And there's an element where it's difficult, right? His Holiness Radhanath Swami, I think, has mentioned that yagya means, sacrifice means that it has to hurt a little bit. Right? And there's a very strong tendency, even in practicing spiritual life, to just want to be comfortable. That, yeah, okay, I'm here, you know, I'm doing my thing, and, um, you know, let me just make sure I've got everything set up so that I can be, you know, happy. But actually, one will not make much progress if they're not voluntarily uh, accepting and willingly looking to engage in some sacrifice. Not just saying, yeah, I went out, you know, I did Harinam, but actually one is willing to um, give of themselves and, and feel that little pinch, right? To keep the, one should, it's also stated, one should become uh, uncomfortable with being comfortable, right? And comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right? And in this way, one can actually uh, know that they're making progress in spiritual life. Because the whole point of spiritual life is to be, is transformation, not just stagnation. Transformation means that there has to be a little pinch and one has to be uh, willing to uh, to adjust, right? Adjust their whole conception of life. <laughs> this is why yagya is difficult because we're used to being in the center and thinking about everything according to our own conception of what we need. And, and but Krishna consciousness is taking ourselves out of the center and putting Krishna in the center. And for the ego, this is a sacrifice. This is very difficult. Right? And I'm sure all of you have experienced the uh, nectar that comes from sacrificing, from giving of ourselves, taking ourselves out of the center, and doing something willingly um, to help to serve the Sankirtan movement. Krishna says that one, uh, what is that verse? One has tasted the nectar of sacrifice in the fourth chapter, right? So, Spiritual life means that we become accustomed to this. And this is what Prabhupada says. Voluntarily accepting some penances and difficulties, one should take less food 
and less sleep. And of course, we're not saying we should become emaciated. But there should be an open willingness to uh, extend oneself. And uh, to take oneself out of the center and try to offer some service for the benefit of Krishna. So any, we have 10 minutes now and we can have comments and questions. I talked about the sacrifice point and then just before that was uh, renunciation and different conceptions of renunciation. And then before that was cleanliness and the importance of cleanliness. Put me on the spot here to see if I'm actually practicing what I'm preaching. <laughs> How to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. My only thoughts on this is that uh, it means that we take the mission of the spiritual master. Uh, on our heads and we try to serve that mission whether or not we feel inclined for example book distribution some days we may feel like doing it some days we may not feel like doing it but because we know it's pleasing to the spiritual master and the acharyas then we go out and we do the best we can and that goes with all services, whatever services we're engaged. Some days we may feel inspired to do it, some days we may not. But because we have a higher principle in mind that actually I'm here to serve my spiritual master and the devotees, then we can uh, embrace that. It's, it's an uncomfortable situation. Yeah, I really don't you know, feel inclined to do this right now. But because I'm taking this higher principle, then I can put myself into this uh, place of discomfort. And gradually we become more inclined to live like that. Just like I have had experiences of you know, having a real tough time getting myself out on book distribution and then um, once getting out and even having a tough time out there um, and then maybe having a breakthrough, maybe not, but feeling afterwards that uh, very satisfied in a much deeper way than I would have felt just, you know, sitting comfortably in my room and taking some nice halava. Right? So that's why Krishna explains in that verse in the Gita that one has to taste the nectar of sacrifice. It's not just that we torture ourselves because, you know, it's not like the concept of like some Christians where, you know, you just torture yourself just because you want to be like understand that you're a sinner or something. 
it's a different concept that we're putting that we're practicing how to actually get pleasure on a different platform besides just pleasing oneself that by sacrificing for the pleasure of the Lord then we actually feel satisfaction on the deepest platform maybe others have thoughts or realizations about this Margaret Thank you so much for asking. Um, so, in my sense of renunciation, um, and you know, many moments in what you were speaking about today, um, I realized for myself a year ago, close to you know today, um, I was preparing to come here. So. The months prior to that, let's say eight months, almost to a year prior to that, I was preparing the renunciation of my former whole sort of life of, you know, having certain things or needing certain things or being in certain, uh, in a lifestyle that I was working to provide for my family, but yet, I was never satisfied spiritually. I mean, spiritually in the sense of how I feel satisfied here. Mm -hmm. So, whether it was Krishna's, in Krishna's hand to, to motivate me in that direction, it's not typical, you know, to just prepare for that transition. But being here, I, I feel home, and I think I've expressed that before. So, it's sort of this purification process. It's a process of renunciation um, and, and also fulfillment in being part of this community and, and, and practicing spiritual life here. You know, and I, I have a very close friend that says to me, you know, you weren't so happy in what you were doing before, but you're so happy in what you're doing So there was an element that it was difficult maybe giving up conceptions of, you know, this is how I act, this is who I am, but, but uh, it has, you're actually relishing now more happiness, right? So that's the thing about bhakti is we're not stressing that just give up things and just, you know, be miserable. But there is an element of give these things up in order to actually take what is really significant. It wasn't even painful to do those things. Mm -hmm. It was like, that's what I was saying, I think Krishna had his hand in just sort of moving me along in a very natural progression. That's nice. I didn't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm giving up all these material things. Yeah. It just You had the higher taste.
We want something in return for it, which is again putting ourselves in the center. This is saying it's a mentality. Saying what? It's a mentality. Yeah. Thus we can have. Thus we can have this service mentality in anything we do. Yeah, and it reminds me of another. Uh, well, they see it on Facebook. Another um, saying I've heard from Radha Swami is that real renunciation means renouncing the ego. So yeah, the ego wants to be recognized for so many things, and ultimately, when if one can, when one renounces that desire for recognition and and the false identification of being the body and the mind then that's the ultimate perfection of renunciation and that's what krishna was telling arjuna right arjuna had thought that you know i'm related to all of these people i have so many obligations with them and i can't you know this is my identity and it was preventing him from engaging in service to Krishna. And by the end of the Gita, he recognized, okay, actually my only real identity is I'm a servant of Krishna, and my duty is to serve and please Krishna's desires. So he renounced his uh, false identities. He renounced his ego. And that's why I was bringing up the point that renunciation is manifested in different ways at different times. It's not that it is um, a black and white, such a black and white thing. So, thank you. I hope that was satisfying. Mother Nidra. Also, can, like, how can we basically do it gradually, right? Without just like. <laughs> She's asking, uh, how do we? Um, my understanding is that you're asking, how do we actually get to the point of just being. Regarding sacrifice, just doing it for the pleasure of Krishna if we're not there yet. Right? Is that kind of the question? 
we start with the first step? <laughs> and the first step is, I think, I don't know how to say in a, as far as principles. But we take guidance. And I think I can say that for everyone, as we come to Krishna consciousness, it's always clear what the next step is. You know, what can I do in my life that can please Krishna more? So we might not be at the stage of um, yeah, full perfection. But we can do one next thing. And if we don't know what that next thing is, then we can take guidance. And our teachers and mentors can definitely help us know. And we can step by step serve and please Krishna. And if we really, if we don't have teachers or, or guides, then it's very clear what Prabhupada is saying that chanting the holy name, engaging in service of the deity, hearing Bhagavatam, these basic principles of bhakti are pleasing to Krishna. And this is our sacrifice. This is our this is how we're engaging in sacrifice in this age. So everyone can do that, can increase their chanting, increase their quality of their hearing and chanting and serving the devotees. And then the practicalities of how else that applies in their life can be worked out under guidance and gradually clarified. Is that okay? All right. Thank you very much. Grantarad Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Thank <laughs> you.